Let's report. Veteran broadcaster Bill Richardson talks about turning a Craigslist ad about beheaded dolls into a musical extravaganza. It's a Craigslist cantata. And a cast of thousands come together at UBC Theatre for an adaptation of Dostoevsky's The Idiot. Okay, more like a cast of 50, but still, it's cool. And Dances for a Small Stage celebrate their 10th anniversary with inspiration from grim fairy tales. Plus a review of Waiting for Godot as it comes to its closing week. So stay with us. Hello and welcome to the Arts Report, your weekly fix of arts and culture, news and interviews here on CITR 101.9 FM. And of course, we're online as well at citr.ca, so you can check us out anywhere in the universe. My name is Adam Yanish, and back with us in studio this week is Anna with one N. Hello, Anna. Hola. You're back from Mexico. Yes, I am. We're very, very, very happy to have you back with us to man the ship because we we were freaking out without you. I was uh, no, no, that's not true. I've I've listened to you last week, as you mentioned, also my phone call and you. Uh, well, Megan had a little comment. Yeah, Ma- Megan and I were were Whoa. holding down the fort, and actually, you you called in. <laughs> you yeah. called in from Mexico while we. I were corrected your playing. Spanish. You, yeah, you just had to call and correct my Spanish, yeah. didn't you? Long distance call. <laughs> <laughs> correct your Spanish, but um, yeah, I was proud of you. You did a good job Aww. in my absence. I'm Thank proud. you. Thank yeah. you. And it's linea. 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 Teatro, linea de sombra. Teatro, linea de sombra. Beautiful. Which is like theater uh, of the... Line of the shadow. What does that mean? What does that mean? That's <laughs> a good question. Um, You're supposed to know. Is there a line? A line of the <laughs> shadow. Uh. Hmm. Yeah. Something to explore. That, All of right. course, is a push show that's uh, happening right now. Yes, uh, from the 17th until the 19th. And uh, the name of that show escapes me right now. Oh, Amarillo. Uh-huh. <laughs> there it is. I think it was uh, the opening night. Last, last night, night was the yeah. opening for Amarillo, yeah, yeah. and it uh, explores the all the different myriad of complex issues surrounding the U.S.-Mexican border. And uh, a cast member, if you will, of the show Amarillo is the wall, the wall that separates uh, the U.S. and Mexico. <laughs> and um, yeah, if you listen to last week's podcast, um, we were talking to um, we were talking to somebody from Push, Danny Fecco, that is, of course, and she was telling us that a huge part of their budget for that show was that wall. <laughs> it was making it possible to have the wall be a part of the stage because I guess in most plays you just have a curtain in the back of the stage. And maybe behind the curtain is either open space, sometimes there's mirrors. Um, but I guess in, in this case, they needed to sort of retrofit the place so that it was a wall that you could... Because they're very athletic with it. They'd, like, oh, jump off of it, oh, climb it. Oh. Um, yeah, it's As a big deal. As we Mexicans know very well how to do, climb and jump walls. I, I can't <laughs> comment on yeah, that joke yeah, because yeah. I got I'm in trouble last one. week. I'm the only one entitled to make jokes about Mexicans. For the record, last week... I'm Mexican. Okay, for the record, okay. l- last week, it was completely by accident, and it's making faces. Um, at the end of the show, I don't even know how it happened, but Megan was saying something about how you were still in Mexico for, for so long, and that yeah. you weren't back yet. Mm-hmm. And... Um, anyway, it ended up sounding like we were being racist against the people of Mexico, so... On Facebook, I had to clarify and say that I have the utmost respect for the people of, of Mexico <laughs> <laughs> and try to diffuse a uh, international crisis Did in, you? in my own head. All right. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. I think the crisis is dif- diffused. Yeah. Diffused. Pretty much. Yeah. Is well, it? Uh, um, we'll talk Ooh, about it later. Ooh, I'm still in trouble. Yep. Megan, it's Megan's fault. Yeah, I'll talk to her. You're right. I should talk to her, not to you. Good. You're okay. Thanks. All right. Off so. Uh, mentioning Amarillo there, a push show, the Push Festival opened last night with a huge gala fiesta. Uh-huh, fiesta? Fiesta, muy bien. <laughs> At uh, the Waldorf, right? Si, si. Uh, and you were there, you were there. Yes. How was it? I was, uh, well, I'm volunteering for Push, and I was there stamping people mm-hmm. that would come in. And Which is actually was... a pretty cool vantage point, because you get to a lot meet pretty much everybody who comes to yeah. the door. and most people, well, the the... the chair members of mm-hmm. the festival were there too and it's just like a big 
mix of people and artists, of course, international artists were having fun there. And um, it was just actually all the people at one two, Amarillo, 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 yo. And then from from the show, they just they came over. To oh, they the, came straight from the yeah. their first performance. So we had a big rush of people coming in. Oh, nice. And yeah, I heard good things uh, from the people I know that were walking in. They said they highly recommend Amarillo. Nice. So, yeah. So check that out. It's only for two more nights tonight and tomorrow. So not a very long run. So you really got to go. go get in there. And I believe that's at the Faye and Milton Wong Experimental Theater in uh, the Gold Corp Center for the Arts at, U at SFU. Very good. That's, yeah, that's the extended version of saying, yeah, that theater at SFU downtown. <laughs> yeah, that place over there. Um, so check that out before it is done. And uh, I guess we should tell you what's on today's show because we've got lots of uh, push coverage today and even more next week. It's going to be spectacular. Are we going to play the... Uh... Oh, no, 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 don't play yet. Don't play yet. Okay, we have a little theme music that uh, we have for, for push. But we'll play that later when we actually get into it. But right now... Get your cue. Yeah, jeez. A wink. Well, you weren't here last week, so I forgot. Yeah. I forgot how yeah. to com yeah, you communicate. Forget. You forget. <laughs> um, okay, on today's show, we've got uh, Dancers for a Small Stage. They're celebrating their 10th anniversary at Push. And Karen Pitt-Kethley, Pitt hope I have that right, um, also known as Karen Flamenco, is on today's show. And she'll talk about uh, her contribution to the event, which centers around uh, Grimm's Fairy Tales. And so we'll find out which of the fairy tales Karen has chosen for her flamenco dance. Uh, also, we'll talk to veteran broadcaster Bill Richardson from his years, many, many years at CBC. And he has teamed up with Vancouver indie artist uh, Veda Hilly, and they have come up with the Craigslist Cantata. Well, they came up with it in 2009, but it's back and better than ever this year at Push. And we'll also tell you about The Idiot. No, and I'm not talking... And I'm not talking about anybody specifically. Um, I'm talking about the show. Dostoevsky's classic, The Idiot, is uh, a massive, massive co-production between uh, theater UB at UBC and the Push Festival. And we are going to talk to Adrian Wong, who's a producer with the show, and she'll give us the scoop on this uh, epic production and how it's coming together. I understand they are furiously at rehearsal as we speak making it happen. Uh, there's a dress rehearsal, isn't there, tonight, Anna? That's right. Today is a dress rehearsal, and tomorrow is a preview, and then Friday's the opening. The opening. Yeah. Right. So we'll give you the heads up on that so you know what it's about and can go and check it out for yourself. So, yeah, we've got lots of push content for you uh, this week and then we've got tons more next week because it's like it's all push all the time now now that it's officially started uh last night it is just going to be a spectacular extravaganza of art and performing arts so for example next week we'll tell you about trampoline hall which is uh, an event where experts come together but they're not allowed to talk about their area of expertise they have to talk about something else <laughs> How <does that> work? <laughs> we'll find out next week <laughs> And uh, we'll also talk to uh, Madeline Sammy, who is an actor, and she plays not one role, not two roles, nine different roles in a one-woman show called Number Two. <gasps> yeah, I actually saw a clip of that last night oh, at nice. the opening gala. They, you... had, they have projections of like, it's like little previews of the show. Like little video clips? Yeah. Projected on? Oh, Projected cool. on the walls, and, there, and I saw this woman doing crazy things by herself so yeah. that was probably her yeah yeah and did it look uh, promising? yeah she like i it wasn't even like i was only watching it there was no audio yeah yeah you could it just so the, it was, uh, yeah it was yeah it caught my attention nice so there okay nine. i thought wow nine rolls yep so we'll find out next week about that so lots and lots of lots of good stuff but first i did want to start um with a little bit uh, of a review um, and this is for Waiting for Godot. Review, review, review. That's uh, our lovely uh, theme music for reviews. That was not at all something that Anna just did into the microphone right now at all. No, it this was... This is actually a very polished clip that we had a professional <laughs> come in to do for us. Yeah, Waiting for Godot. Uh, it is playing at uh, the Colch right now, but only for a few more days. To be specific... Uh-oh. Uh, oh my god, it says, due to popular demand, additional shows added. 
Haha! So it's not the final week. They have extended their run、oh、until January the 28th. What does this mean? So today's the 18th. So originally it was going to go until the 21st. It was going to go till this Saturday. But now it's going to continue from. Oh, I see. The following week, Tuesday to Saturday. So you have now until Saturday, and then you can also go next week. Um, Tuesday through Saturday. And if I were you, I would go online right now to thecoach.com and、uh, snap up those tickets because they go fast and then you will be stuck sitting up top.、Um, but if they've just released these tickets, there's a good chance you can still get good, good tickets because for, for this week, you're going to get lovely seats upstairs. <laughs> I caught myself and. Be honest. Well, they're just not going to be the greatest. They're, they're if, just not very comfortable. Yeah. yeah. But if you, if you book early for next week,、yeah. you'll get much more comfortable seats. So you can look straight ahead and <laughs> 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 not down from the balcony.、Um, you know, that's not to say the Colts has pretty good sight lines. It's like a small venue. So even if you are up top, you're actually fairly close to the action. Yeah, you are close. It's、yeah. just the angle. The angle、that、can might sometimes be, a be tricky. Awkward, but it's still, it's still a good. It's a good theater. Exactly. Okay, so waiting for Godot. I had to, to, back, to backtrack there and defend the Colts a little bit. <laughs>、um, <laughs> So, yeah, waiting for Godot.、And、tell me about it. Let me tell you about it. This is Samuel Beckett's classic play, 20th century classic. And I have to admit, I've read a lot about this play, and I know about it sort of philosophically and why it is important in theater. Before but it, you. But I've never actually seen it. Okay. So. so So it was very exciting for me because it's like something you hear about all the time. Waiting for Godot, waiting for Godot, Samuel Beckett, Samuel Beckett. So to finally be able to see this show and to see it done very, very professionally, like very, to, to see it done,、um, you know, with skillful actors and very、um, solid direction and a lovely set definitely made it worthwhile. It made it like, okay, this, is, this lives up to the hype. And,、um, you know, at first glance, at first glance, it definitely lives up to、uh, the hype.、Uh, the one thing that I would say、um, is, that, is that at first I, I, was, I didn't know how I was going to feel about it. When, once, you know, once getting over the visual aspect, like, oh, yes, this is, this is a solid professional pro- production. Once the, the, the two leads、um, got going, and I believe it's、uh, Anthony F. Ingram and Simon Webb.、Um, I, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to like the show, to be honest.、Um, because they were doing, well, they were doing this thing where they, they were clowning. They were, it felt like they were trying to be funny, funny. for、yeah. the sake of entertaining us or, or almost distracting us. Like, you know, don't worry, this isn't a, a very wordy long play that takes place in one setting for, for two hours. Don't worry, it's actually, it's actually very fun. Look at us, look at us jump up and down. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I just I found it wasn't very, it just it didn't, it wasn't necessary. They didn't have to do that because they, they are very skilled actors. And I found that as the play went on and they just relaxed into the roles and relaxed into their characters and relaxed into the script, you know, relaxed into the scenarios that happen through the script, you know, and, and the, the situations, the conflicts that, that are just written in. Once they trusted in the stuff that, that's just written there on the page, they were much more captivating. But when they were trying to, to be funny, it, it was a bit of a turnoff. So for the first 10 minutes, I'm just kind of looking at them and I'm like, yeah, you guys with your hats, I don't know, your hats and your beards. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's just my, raw, just my raw reaction. But I will say this once the play got going and once The other two characters came on the stage,、um, the Pozzo character in particular, which I believe is William Staples.、Um, I forgot about all of that stuff, and I was just, I was in. I was just locked into the world that Samuel Beckett、um, creates, which, which is really quite a morbid one. It's kind of a sad、yeah. world because essentially, you know, they're waiting for, for this man, Godot, and it's like this desolate road. And there's like a tree and a rock. Why are they waiting? We never really, we never really get into that. But see, this is the, this is the thing.、Uh, this、I、is、see. the genius of the script is that a lot of things are alluded to, a lot of、um, people and, scenari- and, and circumstances are sort of loosely、um, talked about, but you, you really don't, the play never gets into 
specifics about really anything. But what that allows is it allows the play to sort of exist in a very kind of philosophical level because because it's not specifically about anything, it it can be about everything. You know what I mean? In a philosophical way, it can be about life itself. And that's kind of the feeling I got about the show overall is that it's about the sadness and sort of pointlessness of life. That's that's sort of Beckett's that's what Beckett sort of communicates to me, you know, through all the characters and all the dialogue and that's sort of what filters through into my brain is that like, uh, life. Why the hell are we here? What are we waiting for? In our lives, what you know. Is this we're looking for. You know, we wake up every day, we go what's through our purpose? motions, but what's the point? And it's almost it, it almost is like we're waiting for something to, to arrive, happen. for something yeah. very big to happen. And it sort of never does, so we just keep going. You know, and that's kind of how he frames it. It's just we go from day to day. Yeah, and and that really got to me. So I, I give credit to to everyone involved in the production because cause I got that. I got that on an emotional level, this kind of feeling of desolation and emptiness. You know, and there's this very beautiful moving scene at the end of the first act where the moon suddenly rises. <laughs> and I like the way they did this. It wasn't like a, a slow fade, you know, like the light slightly dimmed and the moon slowly came up on the on the psych. It was just like, you know, like the moon, like you can almost hear someone turning like the moon crank. <laughs> it's just like, and the lights just go, you know, the lights just change. And... Yeah, which which works. It just it works in the context of the, sort of the weird, inexplicable world that they create. It works, um, and then the, the the two the two main characters they're they're just kind of suddenly in the dark, and they're like, you know, should we? They look at each other and they're like, should we stick together or should we? Was it worth it that we're here together? Should we have just gone our separate ways? Are we done with our relationship here? Yeah, yeah, right. And again, it's, so it's like it's alluding to. Any, Anything. any relationship, you know, you can, yeah. you can hear those lines and think about any of your relationships and, and that, it, that, that age old question of, of, is it worth it? So it's like the essence of humanity in a broad yeah. sense. Yeah. And I think that's, that's why this play is so famous is, um, it's because of how effectively it talks about the human condition. Um, but still using four characters to tell a story that, that makes you laugh and make, makes you think. And, and the characters bounce off each other so well. I was so uh, impressed, you know, with, with the contrast, you know, between the two tramps, uh, you know, how they contrast off each other. And then Pozzo comes up and he's this um, sort of aristocratic type and he's got, you know, this posh accent. And so he obviously contrasts with these two hobos with their beards, you know. And, and then there's a child. So you have these two old men and a child, you know, and there's that contrast. So the contrasts are always flying and they're always very kind of pleasing for me as an audience member to see these contrasts on stage and see how, how they awake. bounce. Yeah, how they bounce off each other. Yeah, it keeps you awake. <laughs> so, so I definitely... Um, very much enjoyed um, waiting for Godot, and I think it's definitely Good. worthwhile. And so people can still people go can still check it out right now out. at the Culch. And if you go to theculch.com, you will get tickets there. Um, the run is happening from uh, today until the twenty first. That's a Saturday, and then uh, the twenty fourth until the twenty eighth. All of those times, all of those dates are at eight p.m. That's the uh, historic theater at the Cult, and single tickets from sixteen dollars. So you just have to go online, press buy tickets, and uh, select your seats. Yada yada yada. So yeah, check it out. Check it out. All right. All right. So uh, I guess can can we take a little break, perhaps? Mm, and what do you no. think? Oh man, come on, Please. keep going. <laughs> Okay, let's take a break. Fine, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll tell you about Dances for a Small Stage's 10th anniversary show. So stay with us. Tune in to the 10th Annual Homelessness Marathon, a 14-hour cross-Canada live broadcast on housing and homeless issues. Housing is a right. There's no excuse why there should be... uh homelessness and there's no excuse why people should be going hungry in the city of Montreal. The Homelessness Marathon will be broadcast on over 30 campus community radio stations across Canada. Tune in to your local station from sundown to sunup from February 22nd to the 23rd, 2012. Or go to ckut.ca slash homeless to listen online. For more information or to participate, Contact marathon at ckut.ca. I'm here to uh, 
to make it known that uh, all peoples, especially the street peoples and the homeless peoples, have a right to uh, mass media and do have a right to say whatever they feel is right to get themselves into uh, better living conditions. And we're back on the Arts Report here on CITR 101.9 FM and streaming online at citr.ca. The Arts Report is your weekly fix of arts news and interviews. We're on every Wednesday at 5 p.m. And uh, now I want to tell you about Dance for a Small Stage. Ten years ago, Vancouver dance company Movent got permission to borrow a Toronto concept called Dances for a Small Stage, taking contemporary dance and putting it into a tiny 10 by 13 foot stage with an intimate cabaret style arrangement. Over its 10 years, it has featured over 200 artists, including such dance greats as Margie Gillis, Crystal Pite, Deborah Dunn, Wen Wei Wang, and many more. To celebrate their 10th anniversary, they've teamed up with the Push Festival to bring an ensemble performance centered around the fairy tales of the Brothers Grimm. So Karen Pitt Kethley, uh, or Karen uh, of Karen Flamenco, is one of the featured artists, and her flamenco piece looks at Snow White and the theme of isolation. I spoke to Karen about how Grimm and flamenco go together, and about how flamenco's doing in North America these days. But first, here is Karen talking about how she got involved in this 10th anniversary special. Um, I have invited, uh, been invited to perform um, at as one of the dancers in Dances for Small Stage. Um, so, yeah, I will be one of, um, I believe there's probably about 12 to 15 performers altogether, and okay. I will be one of them. Very nice. And do you know uh, anything about the sort of format of the evening, the structure of it? Um, as far as I know, um, the, the show starts at 8 o'clock, and it will just run through. All of the performers will take their turn. Um, I do know that there is a theme for the show. Uh, right. All of the artists have been um, told to take on one of the Grim Fairy Tales. Uh, so everybody's doing their interpretation of a Grim Fairy Aha. So tell me about uh, which one you have chosen. Um, yep, yeah, I've chosen to go into the world of Snow White. Um, and I'm taking on uh, the idea of Snow White being stranded. Okay. Now, I'm just curious uh, in terms of the developmental process because dance uh, always fascinates me uh, because I'm because I don't do it because <laughs> I come from theater, so I'm, <laughs> so I'm much more familiar okay. with uh, the sort of the developmental process of uh, of theater. And and so I'm just curious, where do you where do you begin? So you, you've got Snow White, you've got this idea, and and how do you go about right. uh, transmitting those ideas into movement? dance. Um, for me, um, I'm a flamenco dancer, mm-hmm. so um, I've been working alongside uh, a flamenco guitarist that I work with named Peter, um, and what we've done is, well, the idea that I've sort of come to was this idea of abandonment, mm-hmm. um, so I've uh, sort of worked with, um, in flamenco, there's different feelings for each of the dances, um, and there's a dance called Tarantos, which is a little bit more of a... Um, more of a somber feel, mm-hmm. um, which really lends itself well to the idea of abandonment. So yeah, I've sort of gone with that. So uh, putting it into more of a traditional form of a flamenco dance, um, yeah. but with this idea behind it. Mm-hmm. Cool. And and so, okay, so you're saying that in, in flamenco there, there's different dances and each one has sort of corresponds maybe to a different kind of emotion. Can you tell me a little bit more about that, the different, uh, the different emotions that you can the do? Different. Yeah, for sure. Um, flamenco is usually put into two different categories. There's cante chico and cante hondo. Cante chico is a little bit more of the more upbeat happy dances, uh, more on the happier side. And then cante hondo are the more somber or um, sort of dances that have a little bit more of a darker side to them. Mm-hmm. So the, the one that I'm taking is, is more from that. So uh, it, usually with flamenco there is a singer involved. I have not included a singer for this performance, but the singers will usually sing about something um, that has that has that feeling behind it as well. So it's a little bit of a story that goes with the singer, what they're singing about, the dancer interpreting that, and the guitar as well. Hmm. And uh, I'm just curious how you feel about uh, the, the product so far. Uh, are you pleased with uh, what's, what's turning out? 
Yeah, um, it's been really great to have this theme. Um, uh, for my dance school that I have, I have a company, and we actually do performances. Uh, one, and I, I do the same idea. Last year, we did Moulin Rouge, Romeo and Juliet. This year, we're doing Peter Pan. So it's it's always fun to have some sort of a theme that the general public really can relate to as well, just to to bring it out to them in a way that they can relate to it a little bit. Um, it just makes it easier for them rather than... With the Spanish culture, of course, the, the language is different, and there's always people wanting to know what the the story is or what, what is the singer talking about. So putting it into these sort of storylines helps them in that way as well. I find that for the North American um, audiences. Yeah, I see what you mean. And and just generally, can you sort of comment on the, the state of flamenco in general in, in North America, or at least in, in Vancouver? Is it is it stable? Is it is it in a healthy position? Oh, definitely. It's it's um it's hugely growing. It's just uh, I started flamenco about eighteen years ago in Vancouver, and it's probably tripled in in oh, wow. size since I started. And and that saying, I mean, I when I started, there really was only maybe one school, but now there's definitely a, a lot more choice for people to go to. It's still very uh, quiet. I don't think it's um you know everybody doesn't know about flamenco. It still is one of those dances that's uh, a little bit, you know, underground, I, I guess you could say, but um, but there's definitely a very healthy community, and it, it just keeps growing. And, and what do you think is its greatest appeal, you know, relative to other forms of dancing? What, what is the, the best thing about flamenco? Um, I, for me, it's the, it's the mystery behind it. Um, mm-hmm. There's, you know, you, you walk into a classroom, and you're, you're, you don't really know what to expect, um, and then once you realize that there's this whole world of flamenco and um it's one of those dance forms that everything you know in a year it takes many years to to learn and it's almost the more you learn the more you realize there is to learn there's a whole culture behind it there's it's it's quite complex um yeah so there's a little bit of mystery behind the dance which is it's quite cool and um just the way it works with the singer and the guitar and there's this sort of language that's not really Okay, loud, but it's this uh, language that we all speak to each other, which is is really different from I think a lot of other types of dance. All right, and there's Karen speaking there, Karen Pitt Kethley, or Karen Flamenco, and that's uh, for Dancers for a Small Stage Twenty Five. So it's their twenty fifth installment of Dancers for a Small Stage, as well as their tenth anniversary special and it's part of Push 2012. So this is going to be happening from February the 1st until the 3rd, which is going to be two Wednesdays from now until Friday. So three chances to see this. Doors open at 7, shows at 8, tickets prices are $20, and it's cash only at The Legion. The Legion on the Drive. So that's where the sort of intimacy, intimate venue aspect comes in. 10 feet by 13 feet and a, and a cabaret seating arrangement where you can get a lovely little drink, uh, sit down at your little cabaret table, and enjoy the show. So check that out. And that's 2205 Commercial Drive. And uh, yes, and again, I'll just say that tickets are only available at the door. Only at the door. So February 1st until the 3rd, and you must be 19 plus. For more info, you can go to moveent.ca or pushfestival.ca. All right. So we're going to keep right on rolling. Oh, we didn't play our push uh, special music. Can we do that now? Was this part of the push festival? Yes. Oh. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> All right. Okay. Let's, let's do pretend it. Let's pretend we're just starting now with push coverage. And now it's time for push coverage. Yeah, the Push Festival 2012, <laughs> January 17th until February the 4th, 2012. And there are dozens of shows, main stage shows, as well as Club Push, which is really cool, sort of, uh, again, cabaret kind of style, um, where you can, you know, t- taking the format outside of just the theater, where you sit there, you shut up and watch the show. It's more, uh, a little bit more interactive, a little bit more relaxed, and it's, it is bigger uh, and better than ever. One in particular, let's just pick one at random. This one's called Best Play 
worst play. A sardonic imagining of the best play possible, best play, worst play, is based on a survey of a motley crew of people, from minor celebrities to overly helpful relatives, on what elements make up a great piece of theater. Amelia Symington Fetty's wry monologue twists and turns, taking audiences from the personal through to the epic in this memorable work produced by Vancouver-based The Chop Theatre, with live music by Christy Watson. So that's one example, and that's February 2nd at 9.30. So again, you can... uh, have a drink, and this is at Performance Works. So grab a drink, sit down, and enjoy some sort of offbeat, you know, non-main stage shows. So that's very cool. But uh, moving right along with our next interview, in uh, 2009, writer and CBC broadcaster Bill Richardson and Vancouver indie darling Veda Hilly, who's on the cover of the Georgia Strait right now, teamed up to put Craigslist ads to music. Yes, and now it's been expanded and retooled. Yes, Anna. Yes. And if you call now, I don't know why I do that. <laughs> and, uh, and it is bigger and better uh, this year. Here's the description. Your personal ads set to music. Irregular hats for cats. Mounted lobsters. Autographed copies of the Bible. Autographed copies of the Bible. Who? By Jesus? By Jesus. <laughs> I should go on a Christmas right now. <laughs> this new work from composer Veda Hilly and CBC's Bill Richardson explores what humanity has to offer and turns it into side-splitting musical fare. So I spoke to Bill Richardson, formerly of the CBC, and, uh, and we talked about one particular example involving severed doll dolls, dolls with severed heads. Um, mm. This was one thing that they turned What's- into a song. And this was on Craigslist. Yeah, this was ad. in Washington. This was uh, uh, this was an, a real ad where a family was giving up their dolls because this must have been an incredible research to get all. Yeah, this, like because there's a lot of ads in a lot of cities. Yeah, all over the world. So, yeah, so they picked ones that were inspiring, and we talked a little bit about that. <laughs> like the dolls. Yeah, natural inspiration there, <laughs> and uh, put it to uh, to music thanks to uh, to Veda's work there. Some of the songs include uh, 300 Stuffed Penguins, another one is Chili Eat Eating Buddy, and, uh, and Decapitated Dolls. So uh, here is um, here's Bill Richardson uh, talking about that particular example. I'll give you, here, I'll give you an example. Um, uh, one of the ads is, uh, the, the, the song that it became is called uh, Decapitated Dolls. That may well have been the, uh, the title of the posting as well. Yeah. And it was posted by a woman in Washington, D.C., and, and the story was essentially that her daughter likes to pull heads off dolls, and the therapist <laughs> had been consulted about this and said that was fine. Now they have lots of headless dolls, and they would be free to a good home. So I, I, uh, at the, that was the first ad that I took over to Veda. Well, in fact, I think I took a bunch over, and, and she looked through them. Yeah. And that was the one that she immediately settled on. And I, I watched her. She went to her piano, and she sat down, and she just began to, to noodle with it. And within a very few minutes... The song that is now partial was there. I mean, that's that's just who she is. Yeah. The music just spills over. It's amazing to watch her work. Uh, she's incredibly, incredibly fluent. So, um, in in a way, uh, the the musical possibilities weren't entirely my concern. Although I, sh- I should say as well that um, <laughs> the, the the libretto, which is what I came up with, is mm-hmm. is really the, the, there are three parts to it. Mm-hmm. Now and again, there are uh, ads which are pretty much verbatim as they appeared. So that's an aspect. A second aspect is excerpt some ads which have been cobbled together into a kind of collage that gets used throughout the piece. So it's just a, it's a, a, like a, a, an odd of posting. So you get the idea of just how uh, how, how varied and how frequently right. these things are. And then quite a few of the pieces are original pieces which are lyrics based on Craigslist ideas, like Missed Connections, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, which, of course, there's a plenitude of ads from people who, in, in the Starbucks or wherever, something they would like to see again, <laughs> and they, they try to hook up through Craigslist. So, um, so those are the three things. And then when, when, I was, when they are lyrics that I was responsible for, then I was thinking about them differently uh, than I was thinking about them yeah, as, as uh, the, a bed onto which music could lie. Hmm. You know, the, the examples you gave there with the dolls, I mean, that's a, certainly a, a pretty odd one. And then the, the misconnections one is, you know, you, you hear about these things and, and it does make you wonder, what is it with, uh, you know, what does this say about people, right? And, and it does give you a, a certain kind of odd 
little window into human affairs. And I just wonder what's what's your take on that in terms of you know what can what can be learned if if an alien species uh, only could learn about humans from the Craigslist ads. What do you think they would uh, <laughs> learn? Well, I, I don't think it's any different from uh, classified ads in newspapers. It's, it really is exactly the same thing. It's uh, it's about the human hand for a marketplace, I think is what it comes down to, and what what we have to say we want to buy is sometimes a commodity that you can hold and name. Sometimes it's something that's less tangible but no less real, uh, that's e- emotional, mm. people looking for love. For instance, mm. um, and uh, what's, what's made Craigslist, um, I think, stand out in a way, is that uh, this is something Veda pointed out was that um, when you ran an ad in a newspaper, of course, you, you paid for it, which you don't with Craigslist, and, and you paid by the words. There's a kind of uh, economy yeah. that was always present, but with Craigslist, of course. People can just write, and 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 often it, it's a writing outlet for people. I think uh, some of the ads are are brilliantly, brilliantly, pardon me, brilliantly written. And and um, although every now and again an ad like that would appeal, and, and we put it in ads that seem first and foremost literary in their intent weren't that interesting for us. Actually, what we wanted to find were ads that seemed kind of more more genuine and more expressive of a kind of. Uh, Unprocessed emotion. Yeah, something more raw. But he was working through. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Rather than the ones that were a little bit more polished and kind of uh, constructed. Rather than the ones that, yeah, rather than the ones that seemed destined to be nominated for best of Craigslist. (laughs) Although, I mean, I I, I will say as well that that uh, that that proved quite for, especially for some of the little headlines that uh, that that we went to. I mean, it's 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 a rich trove. It must be said. Hmm. Well, we're quickly running out of time, but I wonder with uh, the final product that you have, is it is it what you expected um, when at the very very beginning when you when you first started working together with Veda? What, what do you think of it now? Um, I, w- I would say that uh, the final product, which is uh, essentially four times as long as the original one, has been considerably expanded, has exactly the same quality of heart. That was in the original, and 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 this, uh, I don't know. I'm surprised by that actually, but I'll say that I'm very happy about that. Yeah, uh, we were both concerned that uh, harm of a piece was that it was, it was just 20 minutes. That was the conceit of the exercise, and and uh, because these things are in some ways quite insubstantial, it seemed. Well, we we both thought that well, maybe that's enough. But um, as as it turns out, it, I, I I think, and of course I would. I mean, this remains for for audiences to decide for themselves. But I think it actually does sustain the the longer format, and and the reason that it does that is because the the the, the piece has um, a very surprising arc to it, uh, a, a, an emotional arc, and that's in part because there's a great director, um, Ami Gladstone, who, who who's done uh, a, a lot of shaping of the piece, and and so and we work to, you know, shift the order around so that some of that, but but um, but but in part, it, it's nothing that you can actually put your finger on or take the pulse of. It's mm-hmm. a kind of strange voodoo <laughs> that seems to have happened in a way where it, it, these things just they just happen of their own volition because somehow they seem to want to. I, I, I like that about any kind of writing, is that there's a quality, when, when that happens, I don't think it really pays to look too deeply into why there's a sort of ineffability about it, and it seems quite natural. So, yeah, yeah I, I, I've seen it with um, a whole bunch of different audiences as it's been workshopped uh, through, through, through the arts, and it always somehow seems to work. Hmm. And I'm just hoping that's going to continue with this this longer run. It's a great, you know what, let me just say what this yes. last thing is. A great cast. Oh my God. These <laughs> people are so talented. Yeah. They're so talented. Sing so beautifully and, and they, they look so great. And, and uh, so we're, we're really, really, really happy to have them. That's great. That's a, that's a perfect place to leave it too. Um, but I, I totally understand what you mean about uh, there's a certain alchemy, isn't there, in, in the arts where if you sort of put uh, the raw ingredients together, there's something uh, greater than the sum of the parts that emerges, a certain kind of uh, strange magic that just comes out, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, I think so, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating to watch. And, and uh, but for, for me, as well, a lot of it has been just about uh, 
I mean, my, my work really with pieces done some time ago, and, and it's it's Veda and Ami who who have done the the, the bulk of the work with the uh, well, the theater of it, yeah. um, and 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 shaping it to to bring out those some some of the things that uh, that become apparent as the piece evolves, and and so it doesn't seem just a, a, a random scattering of ads. There actually does seem to be a kind of there's there, there's a reason and a purpose. There's uh, things are in their place because they have a specific purpose and reason. Right. And that's Bill Richardson speaking there about do you want what I have got? <laughs> Craigslist cantata. <laughs> you have to read it that way every time. I'm, Slowly. Yeah. Do you want what I have got? <laughs> Tempting. A, cra- <laughs> a Craigslist cantata. And that's coming to push January the 19th. That is a Thursday, that's tomorrow, until February the 11th. So it's got a nice long run. Some of the other push shows are like three days, you know? If you blink, you'll miss it. But this one's good. This one's solid. You've got a chance. The other one, you have no chance. Just forget it. There's no way. (laughs) You'll never get in. You'll never get a ticket. Uh, Yes, until February the 11th um, at 8 p.m. Ooh, Tuesdays at 7.30 p.m. And uh, Wednesday matinees at 2 p.m. Saturday as well. No show Sunday. (laughs) <laughs> and that's all happening at the Arts Club. Did you catch all that? Anna, did you get all wait, that? Wait, wait, wait. When's the no-show? <laughs> Sundays. <laughs> Sunday. All right. Okay, best thing to do is not listen to me, <laughs> but to go to the Push Festival website, pushfestival.ca, and you can click on Craigslist Cantata right there and find out more information yourself. And uh, did I mention this is at the Arts Club Review Stage, which is on Granville Island? And uh, there is a post-show talk back on February 7th, so that might be a good time to chat with um, with the cast and maybe the creators. Maybe it could be a, like a great place to, you know, arrange meetings with Craigslist people. It's like, <laughs> Bring your stuff. I really need to get rid of this... Couch. N- couch. Sweater. Bring it. Yeah. Cat. Lamp. Dog. Doll. Uh, dingo? That's <laughs> <laughs> turned into a charades game. All right, so that's uh, Craigslist, Craigslist Cantata. Tickets for that are $25. Uh, artsclub.com as well. You can get uh, tickets for that too. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we'll tell you about the epic, epic production. Epic. Epic of The Idiot uh, coming from the UBC Theatre and Push Festival. So stay with us for that. January 28th, prepare for the triple threat show of the season. Local garage rockers, the Pack AD, on tour to support their latest album, Unpersons, live at the Rickshaw Theatre. With special guests, Pierced Arrows and Black Wizard, advanced tickets are available at Neptune, Red Cat, and Zulu Records or at liveattherickshaw.com. That's the Pack AD with special guests, Pierced Arrows and Black Wizard, live at the Rickshaw, January 28th. The Pack AD at the Rickshaw Theatre is proudly sponsored by CITR. And we're back on the Arts Report here on CITR 101.9 FM. The Arts Report is on every Wednesday at 5 p.m. where we cover the arts scene here in Vancouver. And uh, I would like to share something with you. And that is a song. Uh, this is from a band called uh, Glass Kites. And they are formerly known as Wright. You might have heard of the band Right They're a local Vancouver band, and they're getting some buzz for their just freshly released album, which is out uh, now, and you can get it from Bandcamp. Just uh, click on, or just type in glasskites.bandcamp.com, or glasskites and Bandcamp, just in Google, and you will find it. And uh, this is a track called The Body. So have a listen.
That was Glass Kites, and uh, they've got their album out right now on uh, Bad Bandcamp. Um, so check them out online, and you can down, download, you can listen and download to the album there. That's Glass Kites, uh, formerly known as Right. And uh, that track was called, what was that called, Anna? The Body. The Body. So, yeah, check them out online. All right, we've got one more uh, huge story to tell you about, and that is The Idiot. And that's coming to push as well. Um, in 2005, New World Theatre teamed up with UBC Theatre to bring Crime and Punishment, the 19th century classic novel by Fyodor Dostoevsky, to the stage. Whoa. Now the same creative team is back with another Dostoevsky novel, The Idiot, exploring what it means to be good in an often mean world. Adrian Wong from New World Theatre is a producer on the show, and I spoke to her about, uh, about those issues of being good. Um, but first, I, I asked her to tell me about the, the scale of this epic project. I sure can. <laughs> we, have, <laughs> we have 21 actors on stage. Mm-hmm. 
and in and we also have three uh, musicians. So the onstage cast is 24, and then backstage there's probably as many people um, helping out with a variety of tasks. There are six uh, students from UBC who are are their only job is to help people get dressed and change their clothes. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well as stage crew, lighting operators, and the whole gang, I guess we would probably be around 50 total. Wow, that's quite an it's army. Backstage, yeah, yeah, it's a, it is an army. It's <laughs> <laughs> it's it's got it's kind of um, it does feel like a community though, and I think that that's one of the the values of this show is is drawing together people from different places, different walks of life, different backgrounds together on a on a shared task, which is bringing this show uh, to life. Yeah, I get that. I get that sense uh, from what I've read is is that you guys do want to cultivate a sense of community. And I get the impression that, that that's important to you guys. Yeah, it's really important to us. And it's important to um, me, James Fagan Tate, who adapted and directed The Idiot. And he this project starts actually way back in 2004 when uh, New World commissioned Jimmy to write Crime and Punishment. And so that was the first of the Dostoevsky series yeah. and was produced very much in the same way as we're producing the, the Idiot now with the same number of cast members, the same scale. Yeah. Um, and and part of it is Jimmy's desire to show a, a true diversity of uh, Vancouver residents on the stage and not just in terms of cultural background or ethnicity, mm-hmm. but also socio- socioeconomic age, gender, all of those those different things that can set us all apart right. by trying to bring people from those different communities together. There's uh, there's a lot of exchange that happens. There's a lot of learning that happens. And I think for the audience, it 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 changes your experience of watching a play. It's not just about seeing the experts out, up there doing it, although everybody's doing a fantastic job. It, it is about seeing your city represented, seeing yourself up there. Hmm. Um, and I think that's a real optimistic uh, vision of the theatre and what the theatre can do. I imagine also because of the scale, for the audience it gives you a better sense of, of the world of the play than, than maybe something that's a monologue or, or something with a small cast. This one gives you a real sense that this is, this is an entire bustling sort of universe of the story. Yeah, and, and I think that that's, that's a good point, Adam. Like this, this play, even though there are some key characters uh, Prince Mushkin, for example, who is the, mm-hmm. the titular idiot, as they say. Um, <laughs> there's key, there are key players, but there's also a lot of people playing ensemble, playing multiple characters, because the novel itself is is so populated with amazing characters. And I, I think that that's one of the things Dostoevsky said himself about this novel, that it was the most realistic one that he had written, that the human the human portraits are are very... Um, they are very human. They're not just caricatures. They are people with needs and de- desires who change their mind all the time, hmm. which is what people do. <laughs> One thing I, I wonder about, and I'm sure this was true with Crime and Punishment, but the the adaptation conundrum, you know, uh, you've got this sprawling story that can exist, you know, very well in a book, but then to turn that into something that is theatrical and that can hold an audience's attention for, you know, a, a certain period of time. Um, can you tell me about that challenge of, of making it um, still sort of worthy of an audience's attention? You bet. Um, so yeah, the novel is long. Anyone who's uh, read it will know that. And anyone who's tried to read it will know that too. Um, so the, 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 the struggle to adapt it is is a struggle, yeah. and there came a point where, um, like Jimmy's initial vision for this piece was a six-hour play. So you would come and see Act One one night, and you come back the next night to see Act Two, um, mm. and that you know that's not a bad idea, but that wasn't what we were able to to do with this project. So it's still a long play, and 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 it's been compressed into one evening, and so what happened at a certain point is. Um, you just start cu- cutting characters. Right. So people who have read the novel will come and see the play, and you'll be like, "Where's Prince S? Where's Radomski?" I'm <laughs> <laughs> like, "Well, Radomski didn't quite make it <laughs> in the cut," and and that's partly, I think, was Jimmy as he's thinking through the novel and reading it through and thinking through the adaptation, really had to identify what was 
strongest for him and what was strongest about the story that he wanted to tell about Prince Mushkin and his adventures in St. Petersburg. So you hear, you know, I think our production, um, the, the, the focus is on uh, the, the love stories um, between Mushkin, uh, Nastasia, Aglaya, and uh, Rogozhin. So those are those kind of form a real kernel. And and inside of the, those triangles, there's questions about what what is love? Um, does love make you more than yourself? Does love come from a place of pity or compassion? Does, you know, and are those two different kinds of love, and is one better than another, or can they exist at the same time? Hmm. So... You know, that's that's one of the storylines, and then there's other threads that have to do with really human things, like what is it, what is it to die, mm-hmm. what is it to lose your hope, what is it to be, um, uh, what is it to be asked, have things asked of you, uh, and be able to respond constantly with uh, such generosity that people start to think you're an idiot, that you're being taken for a ride. And so, you know, the the notion of the the idiocy comes from a couple different places, like his, the the term is a medical term of the time that relates to mental health. And so Prince Mushkin suffers from epilepsy and has had so many seizures that his mind is is not um, always linear. so that's one way in which he's being called an idiot. But the other way is because he is generous and he is loving and he is free and he will forgive anything. And some might say that's Christ-like and some might say hmm. that's an idiot. Hmm. Is that what makes this story enduring? You know, you mentioned these themes of, of love and sort of getting to what, you know, what is love and what kinds of love are there as well as, you know what it means to be a, a loving, you know, human amongst other humans, and and how that's sort of perceived by others often with suspicion. Is that is that what's made the story endure for so long? I think I think that yeah, I think the answer to that is yes. I think it's certainly something that makes us feel like the the story and the play are really relevant to contemporary life in Vancouver right now. You know, mm. with the Olympics having happened in our city right next door to the poorest postal code, you know, after all of the the occupations in the different cities just this past fall, you know, you see this huge discrepancy of wealth inside of our cities. You see the shrinking of the middle class, and those are some of the things that that Dostoevsky addresses in his novel, and those were the current issues in 1865 in, (laughs) in Russia. You know, and so we're not so different uh, at this time now. So we feel like the questions that are being asked, like how do you find mercy inside of a, uh, a society where everybody's trying to get ahead, like that, those are the questions that we have to ask ourselves right now. Is just listening to a Mike Daisy uh, monologue about how Apple products are <laughs> manufactured, <laughs> you know. And so that's something that adds a lot of joy to my life. But now I have to really think about the consequences of of my enjoyment. And I think that, that that's something that's, that is, is alive in our play as well. And that's Adrian Wong from New World Theatre, who is working on The Idiots, along with UBC Theatre and The Push Festival. So that is coming January the 20th. That's Friday until January 29th at 7.30 p.m. And that's, uh, sorry, there's also a post-show talkback um, on January the 22nd for that matinee and this is happening at the frederick wood theater here at the ubc campus and there is a two-for-one ticket uh, special for january the 19th and that's a that's a preview that's tomorrow so two-for-one uh, preview tomorrow night otherwise uh, friday is the big opening and um yeah so check that out tickets from 28 dollars and they are available f- through theater at ubc which is ubctheater.universitytickets.com so check that out. And, of course, you can always go to Push Festival, uh, pushfestival. C. Sorry. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. 
There you go. That ends our push coverage. Pushfestival.ca. I wanted to say. All right, that's uh, that's our that's our uh, that's our show. That's our show for today. Um, I need to get off the air because Anna's got Discord or radio coming up next. Anna, what's uh, what do you stop have? talking? All right, uh, I'm just gonna <laughs> stop talking. So uh, this was the arts report. <laughs> Join us next Wednesday when we'll have more exciting push coverage for you. Uh, you're listening to CITR 11.9 FM. I'm Adam Yanush, and for Anna with one N. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I'll be back in a bit.